Hey, First Church, I'm excited to get to introduce our speaker for today. C.J. Epperson is our new Stone Canyon minister, and we're thrilled to have him as part of our staff team. For those of you guys who don't know, C.J. and I have known each other for years. We even served together on staff at another church, and he's like family to Allison, and me, and our kids. And so I think you're going to find out what I already know, that he has a deep love for Jesus and a deep love for people. He's an effective communicator, and I know you're going to be touched by what he has to say today. So if you would, put your hands together and give a warm welcome to to my friend, my brother, and our Stone Canyon minister, C.J. Epperson. Hey, hey, hey. Good to see you guys today. Um, like Chad said, I am the campus minister of our Stone Canyon campus. So our church meets in two locations every single morning. We meet here at North Garnett. We meet across town at Stone Canyon. And a lot of people tune in and listen to us online. So if you would, let's welcome everybody else who's listening in this morning. Well, I am really excited to get to be over here at North Garnett and preach with you guys, uh, teach you guys this morning. Um, Chad and I have, like he said, we've been uh, together for a long time. We've known each other for a really, really long time. And um, I love to preach. This is what I love to do more than anything. So last week, Chad set us up on a really good path as we started our study uh, called the Walk the Talk through the book of James. He set us up on this path that just simply said from the book of James, James says that our faith has to have action. If our faith has no action, it is dead. That faith without action is not living, and really, it's worthless. Faith without action, it, it's, it's of no use for you. If you have all the right beliefs, but you do nothing with them, you wasted your life. So we started last week with that as the trajectory of this series um, as we go. And this morning, we're going to kind of talk about a situation or a, a thing that we all go through. And we're, we're going to base it back into the idea that our faith has to be met with action to matter. Now, let me set the table for what our topic is this morning. Uh, several years ago now, a study was done, a question was asked, you might say, of several people um, around America. The question was this, if you could ask God anything, and here's the big catch, he had to answer. If you could ask God anything, and he had to answer the answer could not be simply, that's just how it is. The answer could not simply be, you'll figure it out one day in heaven. The, the answer could not be and would not be, I, I, I just can't tell you that yet. If you could ask God anything and he had to answer, what would you ask? Um, if you're like me, you probably have a list of things that like one day you want to ask God anyway. Like one day I would love to ask God about this. One day I would love to ask God, what was it like when you parted the Red Sea? Or what was it like when the whole earth was flooded? Or what was it like? What was it like? What was it like? But right now I think I'd, I would probably ask, um, hey God, how are my great-grandparents? How are they like in heaven? What are they doing? What are Mama Beulah and Papa Vernon? What are they doing in heaven each day? Uh, maybe I would ask, hey, hey, God, when's Jesus coming back? Like, I would really love to know when Jesus is coming back, partly for selfish reasons, partly for good reasons, like the selfish reasons. If I knew, I would write a book and you all would buy it, right? Like, I would love to know, when's Jesus coming back? Um, I might ask this dear question to my heart, very near to my heart. God, will Kentucky ever win a football championship? Please, God, tell me. And, and not only that, God, will you do something to make it happen? Like, we need a miracle here, God, please. Like, there are lots and lots and lots of questions I would love to ask God that he would have to answer. 
But there's one question that, that from this study came resounding out. And, and one, one question that I would ask too, I, I think it's actually at the top of my list. God, what, what do you have to say about all this suffering in the world? Like, like God, what do, what do you have to say about, about all the hard things that we're going through in the world? Hey, hey God, what, what do you have to say about all the pain that we witness every single day? Because the assumption is with this question that people who were asking the question, they believed in God. So they believed that God was all good and that, and that God was all powerful. And, and reasonably so, if you're going to ask God the question, what do you say about all this suffering and all this pain in the world? The next question would be, God, what are you going to do about all this suffering? What are you going to do about all this pain in the world? Hey, God, here's a really present, here's a really near thing to us, suffering. Tell us, God, what do you think about suffering? We're lucky he has. But let me set the table just a little bit more before we get there. Um, this morning I walked in here and somebody greeted me at the door and they knew it was my birthday this past week. And um, they said, hey, we heard it's your birthday this past week. How old did you turn? Like 18? And I was like, yep, that's exactly right. You guys hired an 18-year-old to lead a campus at this church. Yeah, that's, no, that's not true. Um, I turned 24 this past week. Um, I say that to say this. This morning you walked in and a lot of you don't know me at all. Like you've never had contact with me before. You've never even heard of me before maybe. You, you don't know who I am from anybody. And, and I walk out on stage and, and Chad gives a video to say welcome this guy. And, and I step up into the light and you look at me and you think, oh this dude's 15. <laughs> this dude is a kid. What is Chad doing allowing this guy to preach? So it, I, I say that to say this. I already know what you might be thinking. When I set the table and say, hey, we're going to talk about suffering and we're going to talk about pain this morning from the book of James, you might already be thinking, this guy has nothing to say about suffering. This guy has nothing to say about pain. He's not been through anything yet. This guy is not married. He doesn't have kids yet. He's only, he's only worked at this church for six months. What's this guy going to say to us about suffering and about pain? And let me just say this. You're right. I haven't had a lot of the experiences you've had. And you're right, and I haven't dealt with suffering in a lot of the ways that you've probably dealt with suffering. But let me just say this for every person who's ever lived. We all understand suffering to some degree. We've all been through suffering to some degree. Because of sin, we have all felt the weight and the pressure of suffering. Because when the writer in Genesis says, they sinned and the world fell, that was not simply a poetic thing to say. That was, that was real. Like sin entered the world, death entered the world, and the pressure of suffering, it went on all of our shoulders. It went on all of our backs. It, it, it comes to all of us. Some of us know suffering really, really well. It's really personal to us. When I, when I said suffering, something came into your mind. Maybe a, a diagnosis that you have or a job that you lost. Maybe, maybe a child that ran away or maybe a, a person you love that ended their life way too soon. Maybe the suffering that you thought of was extremely personable. But, personal. But maybe, just maybe, the suffering you thought of was not personal. It was about someone else. It was suffering that you see at a distance because we all are fluent in the language of suffering. Live a little bit longer and you'll find suffering 
grow a little bit older, and you'll become more acquainted with suffering. So I set the table this way for all of us. Suffering reaches every single person in this room and every single person you come in contact with on a daily basis. Every single person you love, every single person you care about, from the youngest to the oldest, has to deal with and has to answer, what what are we going to do with suffering? What are we going to do about suffering? Because just as much as we would love to ask God the question what he would do about suffering, the question is being asked of us every single day. Because as we come in contact with suffering, we must respond. And let me just say, some of us respond really, really poorly. Some of us respond to suffering really, really, really poorly. Let me explain it this way. Um, Do you guys know these kind of people? People who will minimize your suffering to maximize their own suffering? They'll minimize your pain so they can maximize their pain. Let me give you an example. Um, Let's say for the sake of discussion, um, you were in the kitchen this past week doing something. I don't know what people do in the kitchen yet. I'm a single guy. I don't do anything in the kitchen really. I go to the refrigerator and the microwave and walk away. But let's just say, for example, you're in the kitchen and you're cooking something. I don't know what. But anyways, you cut your finger right? And it's pretty bad. It's not like a little nick that you can just put a bandaid on and and you have to go to the hospital and get some stitches in your finger and then they wrap a big bandage around it which signifies to the whole world a billboard for everybody. I did something stupid, right? So then you go to work the next day or you're hanging out with your friends the next day and and they see the billboard on your finger that says, hey, I did something stupid. And, And they say, what'd you do? And you explained whatever it is that you all do in the kitchen, and you explained that you had to get stitches in your hand. Have you noticed the natural response of most people? Most people will then tell you some story of how their suffering was worse than that. Like they might say, um, you cut your finger a little bit? One time, one time, I was uh, trimming the hedges around my house, and, and I wasn't paying close enough attention, and I, I like cut four fingers off my hand, and they glued these four fingers back on. So guess what? You're going to live with six stitches, okay? It's going to be okay. And what they're doing is they're minimizing your pain, your suffering, to maximize their own suffering. You ever been there? Ever done that? Because as I I wrote that line in this sermon this week, I started thinking of the ways that I've done that. Uh, Another thing that happens, and it happens typically around the church, I'm sorry to say, but but another thing that happens when we respond to suffering is sometimes we um, we will trivialize other people's suffering so that we can spiritualize our own suffering. We do that like this. Say for another example, you're in that kitchen doing whatever you do once again, and you cut your hand again, whole situation, billboard on your finger that says, hey, I am a dummy. I did something stupid. I've got stitches, right? Um, And you tell one of your trusted Christian friends, and what's their response to you? Well, weren't you listening this past Sunday when that preacher was preaching? And he told that story about that missionary who went to some country that we can't remember. And while he was carrying that backpack full of Bibles, a tree fell down and smashed his leg. And he had to cut it off with a pocket knife. And then he kept going to that tribe of people. And he preached to all those people and saved all those people. And, and let me tell you, that is some real suffering. That is some real spiritual suffering right there. Your finger doesn't matter. We will trivialize and minimize people's suffering to spiritualize and maximize our own suffering at the drop of a hat. 
And I would just simply say, we need to stop. We need to stop. Because while the world is suffering around us, while we are presently suffering, while we are getting ready in moments that we're not suffering, knowing that we will eventually suffer, we need to respond to suffering really well. Because if we believe that we have the answer to pain and to suffering, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, we have to respond well. Or people will quit asking us to respond. We have to respond well, or people will quit asking, what does God have to say about suffering? Because when we minimize and we trivialize everyone else's suffering, here's what you're saying. You don't matter. You don't matter. And let me just tell you who wins when we say people don't matter. Satan. Satan loves the idea that we would say people don't matter when we minimize and we trivialize their suffering. So, if we all have to respond to suffering, uh, maybe it would be good now if you stop listening to the 24-year-old go on about suffering and, and we looked at what God said about it, okay? Uh, here's what James says about it in his letter as he opens up. He, he gives a really quick uh, greeting to the people that he knows there, and then here's what he said, verse 2. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. I, I'm sorry, but I just have to stop. Like, Whoa. I just talked for like six minutes about responding well to people's suffering. And I know well enough to know this. If you walk up to me today and say you're suffering in some way, I should not say to you, consider it pure joy. Oh, CJ, I lost my job this past week. Consider it pure joy. <laughs> CJ, this past week they diagnosed me with cancer. Consider it pure joy. This past week I lost a family member really close. Consider it pure joy. See, this seems like the worst response to suffering. This seems like the worst response that James could possibly give to start his letter. I mean, as the Christians are reading this who have been scattered and who are being persecuted and who are being killed day in and day out, as they start to read that, when you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. That seems really, really, really mean. Seems really mean for James to say that. But James has a point here. And like, and like if we just stop there, that seems mean. But, but James has a point. He's going to change suffering altogether for us. Verse 3 says this, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Wait, what? What, what does this have to do with faith? Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be, um, so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What's James getting at here? James is getting at a truth, simply put this. Suffering will either devastate your faith or suffering will deepen your faith. 100% of the time, every single time, here's what happens when we suffer. Suffering either draws us closer to God or it leads us farther away from him. Suffering is the thing that we are asking God over and over and over. Please say something about this. Please do something about this. Please end suffering. And what James knows is what we should understand. Our suffering will either deepen our faith or it will devastate our faith. And the choice happens to fall on you and me. It, it happens to fall on you and me. 
Notice how James says this. James doesn't say, hey, your suffering is joy, or your suffering is, um, or your trials are joy. No, he says this. He says, a really interesting word, consider, consider, meaning that in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your troubles and your trials, you have options. You, you, you have options in the midst of suffering. You have options of how you will respond to suffering. You have options of what you will do with suffering. And let me just say once again, we must respond the right way to suffering because suffering will either devastate us or it will deepen us. Uh, James says this in this same passage that we've been reading. When you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith, it develops perseverance, and, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. See, here's what James is getting at. James is getting at that your trials and your suffering, they are building perseverance in you so that you can mature, so you'll be ready for heaven. He's saying your trials and your suffering are an opportunity for you to do one of two things, to either pull Jesus in close or to push Jesus far away. See, simply put, we, we think often in the church there's a lot of different ways we need to be getting ready for heaven. I really think there's just one way we need to be getting ready for heaven. We just need to start our relationship with Jesus. We just need to start getting to know Jesus better. We just need to start a relationship with Jesus now so that when we lack nothing, when all of this is counted for good, when all of this can be considered joy, when we can look outside of this world, we already know him. We're ready for heaven. Consider it pure joy that perseverance is growing within you. Uh, but how do we do that? Like, like, what do we do with that? Because that, that seems really good once it's kind of explained, once you get past the initial phase of, that's a mean thing to say, James. What, what do we do with that? How, how do we consider pure jo our suffering pure joy in the midst of it? I think James was writing this letter, and as he was writing this letter, he, he remembered what he started with. And near the very end, he goes back to this topic. He goes back to the topic of suffering, back to the topic of trials. And this is what he says in James chapter 5. He says this, if any of you are suffering, they should pray. Anybody suffering? They should pray. Any of you suffering? You should take time to bend the ear of God. Any of you suffering? You should take up residency in the throne room of God. Any of you suffering, how about you take this as an opportunity to pull God closer to you? Any of you suffering, how about it's time to spend some time with God? Hey, are any of you suffering? Pray. He goes on to say this, if any of you are happy, well, well they, should, they should sing. Any of you happy? Any of you, life is going good? I know this is a sermon about suffering, but, but like there's some of us in here who we're not dealing with suffering on a very personal level right now. And so, any of you happy? You should sing. Now, notice here, what James is using pray and sing for are actually the same thing. 
James is saying here, hey, in good times and in bad times, you should be pulling Jesus closer to yourself. You should be going closer to Jesus. You should be making a relationship with Jesus when times are good and when times are bad. He goes on to say this, if any of you are sick, they should call for the elders of the church and the elders should pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick, for the Lord will restore them to health. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. See, really practical application for us. To consider everything pure joy, to consider any suffering and any trial pure joy, here's what James would say we should do. If life is good, sing. If life is hard, pray. If life is good, please, oh please, start singing. Please, oh please, start singing now if life is good. Because eventually, one of these days, maybe not too far in the future, you'll have a moment where life is hard. And what you will need more than anything is for God's presence to be close to you. It's for God's presence to be near you. And here's what I know. The time to start praying is not when the suffering happens. The time to start singing is not once the suffering is going on. The time to start singing is when life is good so that when you suffer, the nearest one to you is God. See, here's the problem. I've done it. You've probably done it. I wait until the very last moment. I wait till the very last moment in the middle of my suffering when I am devastated by it. And then I remember a promise. I am near to the brokenhearted. I am near to the, to the pressed down. I, I care for them. I remember a promise of Jesus. Come to me if you have heavy weights on your shoulders. I will give you rest. But often it takes me being devastated by suffering. If you want to be deepened by your suffering, if you want to be deepened by the trials and the pain of this world, if you want to consider it pure joy, sing if life is good and pray if life is hard. But that's not good enough when you're in the middle of suffering. I was writing this this week, and, and I got to the bottom of, of that point. And I, I thought about some people in our church. People in our church who are really, really, really suffering. People in our church who are suffering by no fault of their own. People who are suffering with diseases, and people who are suffering with their children having diseases, and people in our churches who have lost jobs, and people in our churches who are being wronged by the world, and people who have trusted people, and they've been abandoned by those people, and people who have been hurt and who have been nicked up and are suffering in every way imaginable. And I just thought, man, they do not want me to deconstruct the book of James to say to them only Here's how to suffer. They need to hear this. God really cares. And God really, really, really is suffering with you. Uh, 
I work for uh, First Church, but I work at the school quite a bit. I'm at Stone Canyon Elementary School. Uh, a lot of days I get to be out there, and we have this awesome partnership with the school. So um, they call on us to do a lot, and we call on them to do a lot for our campus. And it is an awesome partnership that we have with them. Uh, but at the end of the last school year, they were having their big bash, and pretty much what that means is this: they just rented a bunch of inflatables, gave the kids a bunch of pop and a bunch of candy, and wound them up as much as they could, and then sent them home to the families for the summer. Here you go. Here's your child back. This child is going to be out of control when you pick it up, okay? Um, It's like the best day for some of these kids, though, in their whole life. It's the end of school, and they get to party all day long, right? So they invited myself and our care minister, Jake, to be there um, this past year at their end of the school bash, and they just wanted us to play music and kind of just hang out and be around. And so I said, sure, you give me pop and candy. I'll go anywhere, too. Um, I know, I'm young. Anyway, I'll be there, though. So I was there, and um, we set all our stuff up, and the fourth and fifth graders came out, and the fourth and fifth graders ran to the inflatables, and they ran to the candy, and they ran to the pop. And, and I noticed pretty quickly, there was one little fourth grade boy who he came over and um, he got down near where the music was and, and he got down under a tree and he, and he tucked his knees up to his chest and, and he bear hugged himself and he sat there and he faced the tree. And, and I looked at him and I thought, that fourth grader is carrying more right now than anyone ever should. That fourth grader is feeling the pressure of suffering and of pain and of death, and he's in fourth grade. And so a little while later, this fifth grade boy, he he came from the inflatables, and and I honestly just thought he was coming to ask us to play Old Town Road for the 14th hundred time. And he walked up, and he sat down in the dirt. He put his hand on this little boy's back. And for the rest of the time, while his class partied. He sat under the tree with this little boy. And so I'm watching this happen, and and I'm thinking, that fifth grade boy, he understands something that I've missed. That that fifth grade boy, he he sees something in this moment that I didn't see. That that fifth grade boy in this moment is, is showing the love of Jesus in a deeper way than I even had the capacity to when I saw the problem. So it like moved me. And I was like, I have to find out more about this little boy and more about his family. So later, once the kids were completely wound up as tight as they could be, the parents started coming to pick the kids up. And and when this little boy's mom came in, I, I started telling her the story. Like, here's what your son did for this other little boy. Here's how he sat in the dirt instead of going to the party. And she was amazed. She was like, I can't believe my son would do that. And so when her son came to leave for the day, she simply said, Who's that little boy you were with? That fifth grade boy said, I don't know him. I don't know his name. I just knew he needed someone to sit with him. Guys, I, I came here to preach about suffering, but I came here more than that to say what the world is asking for, what we are asking for when we ask God, what are you going to do with suffering is, does anyone care about my suffering? Does anyone care that I'm sitting under the tree right now? Does anyone care about my diagnosis? Does anyone care about my job loss? Does anyone care about my child running away? Does anyone care about what I'm going through? 
More importantly, what we're asking is, does God care about what I'm going through? Does God care about what I've been through? Does God care about my suffering? Let me just say yes. But then let me show you. If you take time to read this from from cover to cover, I would encourage you to do that. If you took time to read this from cover to cover, you, you would notice something. Something really big happens when we have this break that we call the New Testament. And when this break happens, when the, the New Testament starts, you start to notice something. The, these writers start to say things like, God became flesh, and, and God came down, and God, and God came and, and he dwelt among people. M- meaning this, God looked at the world, and he wrapped flesh on himself, and he came down to this world because of our suffering, because of our pain. And he said, hey guys, I'm not only going to sit under the tree with you. I'm not only going to sit down in the dirt with you. I'm not only going to leave the party. I'm not only going to leave heaven to be with you. I'm going to pick up the tree. And I'm going to let some other people use the tree. I'm going to let the other people use the tree and hang me on what we simply call the cross. Because your suffering has to be answered for. And your suffering has to be accounted for. So the first part I'd say this, yes, God cares about your suffering. And believe it or not, the simple truth of why Jesus came is because God was sick and tired of your suffering and of my suffering and the suffering of the world. So he said, beat me, kill me, heap the suffering on me, I'll take it. And in the past, that was God's response to suffering. But maybe you're like me, and you start to think, well, what about right now? What about my suffering right now? Because even though James says, consider it pure joy, which means we need to step outside of our suffering for a moment to examine it, when we're in the middle of suffering, we don't want to take a step outside of it. We are in the middle of it, and we want to know, what does God have to say about suffering now? And I would simply say this, that's why God sent the community That's why God sent a community that we simply call the church. Because God knew that even though he would take care of our suffering in the past, in the present, between the cross and between when he returns again, we would need our suffering to be taken care of. Let me me give you a story about this. Um, I have for a long, long time wanted to tell this person's story um, on a stage like this. This is uh, Ruth Ann Perut, and she uh, works at a church in Kentucky, the first church that I worked at. Here's a picture of her and I uh, two summers ago now. Um, She has worked there for over 50 years, and I love this lady. I call her Mamaw Ruthie, and she is not related to me in the least bit. The first Sunday I walked in the doors, I was 17. I, got a, I graduated high school the night before, and I walked in the doors as an intern, and she looked at me and said, I'm stuck in my ways. Don't try to change me. And I said, okay, me too. Yep, thanks. Um, but I love Ruth Ann because Ruth Ann's life is a walking testimony for the church. Um, more than I would care to share with you right now, and, and probably more than you'd care to hear about, Ruth Ann's life has been marked by tragedies. There have been tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Let me share just two that are connected to a holiday. Every Mother's Day, she remembers that her husband, he, he had a heart attack and, and died, at, died in her arms on Mother's Day morning. 
And, and every Mother's Day since then, she is not celebrated. She has simply remembered her husband. Every Thanksgiving for the past 40 years, she has mourned on Thanksgiving because the 17-year-olds, her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend went to the drive-in movie theater and didn't know that carbon was leaking into the car and it killed them. 20 years later, her granddaughter drove into the driveway and committed suicide in her driveway. Mother's Day and Thanksgiving are ruined forever because suffering like that can't simply be explained away. Suffering like that cannot simply be put in a box and said, here's what you do with this now. Suffering like that cannot simply be put in a box and say, don't worry about it anymore. But do you know what Ruth Ann always says about those stories? If you can get her to say them, if you can get her to tell those stories, she'll in this hateful voice say, you know who's always there? The church. Every time anything bad ever happened, they're at the door with food. They brought a casserole or they bring some green beans. Or the, I, I don't, the church was always there. And then in the most delicate moment, she'll say this. If not for the church, I would have died with one of them. See, here's what the world needs to know. The church is not here to minimize or to trivialize your suffering. We can no longer do that if we hope to reach people. God's plan for this world was that in the past he would use a cross. In present day, he would still use that cross, but through the power of this community that we call the church to heal people's suffering forever. But then, but then there's a future, right? Like, like there, there's a future day coming. We'll, we'll simply just call this the city. I, I hope you could see it coming. It's heaven. It's heaven. God has answered the problem of suffering in a three-part way, with a cross, with a community, and with a city. And he simply says, I understand your suffering, and I care about your suffering, and I want to end your suffering. Some of it will only go away, though, when we're in the city. Some of it will only be gone one day. Some of it will only be over one day. And right now, what, what Jesus is trying to prepare you for, what, what God is trying to prepare you for, what, what this church is trying to prepare, prepare you for, is for one day, when we meet together in a city where there is no more sorrow and there is no more suffering and there is no more pain and there is no more death and there is no more weight and there is no more pressure, because one day God will say, your suffering is done. And on that day, on that day, we will consider all of this pure joy. And we will sing together. Because life will be good. Let me tell you one more story. Um, uh, for 14 months, I was the lead minister of a church in Coweta, just down the road. And yeah, that's funny because they hired a 22-year-old to be their lead minister. That's crazy. Uh, but anyway, they hired me, and, and I started to preach there week in and week out. And um, one Sunday, a, a lady came in with her really good friend, and, and week after week, she would come. And, and this lady was about my parents' age, and she would make fun of my accent every Sunday, or she'd make fun of me because I love Kentucky so much. And, and we had this little good banter going back and forth every week. And she, she just kept coming and, and kept coming and kept coming. 
And so one Sunday I got done preaching and I invited anybody who needed prayer that Sunday to come down front and we would love to pray with you. We would love to talk with you about anything going on. And so that Sunday, I, I walked down, and we were singing a song, and, and people were about to be dismissed, and, and she came down, and, and she hugged me tight, and she whispered in my ear, she said, I have stage four cancer, and the doctors are done. It's over. And I remember thinking in that moment, there wasn't a class for that, and, and there wasn't a, wasn't a study I could do for that. There wasn't a sermon in that moment that I could preach to, to heal that. And she said, will you just pray with me? And I said, we'll all pray with you. So for months, our church made it its mission and its goal to rally around her and to pray for her. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. But in early spring, Kristen passed away. In, in, in early spring... She stopped fighting a battle. In early spring, her suffering went away. In early spring, her pain was no more. In early spring, God said, it is finished. And I have a text message on my phone from her where it simply said, if this did happen, cancer didn't win, I'm at home. I'm in the city now. Suffering's over. Guys, really tangibly, here's what James would say to you if he were here today. Get ready for heaven when suffering will be no more. And here's the practical way I want you to do that. When life is good, sing. When life is hard, pray so that you can consider all of this life pure joy because it is preparing you for heaven. Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you so much uh, for your word. Father, we just thank you that you teach us through it. Father, this morning, I just pray for everyone in this room. Um, if they are suffering in any way, Father, I just pray that you would, you would make it so clear to them that you are near to them. Father, help this church to be near to them. And, and Father, help them to have their focus set on you and on the city one day. Father, if there's anyone in this room who is happy, help them to sing now. Help them to draw near to you now so that when life is hard, they will have you so close. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this day. Father, we love you so much. We pray this through Jesus' name. Amen.